This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Radio.com studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. Vaccine fraud, something we kind of have to worry about. California in a couple weeks can open up vaccinations to older teens and adults younger than 65 with health conditions. But how do the agencies make sure someone really has a condition? How do you prevent fraud? You know, people faking documents and trying to jump that line. The economy is looking a little better, but the pandemic isn't over yet. So we'll get into what the bright spots are now and what concerns lie ahead. Remember concerts? You remember oh, yeah. festivals, yeah. live music? Yeah. They might be coming back. Oh. We'll tell you when. Let's start with the potential for vaccine fraud. Judy Mark, president of Disability Voices United. Have you heard anything about the upcoming vaccine uh, expansion in California to those with underlying health issues? Do you know how all of this is going to work? Of course, we are really concerned about how the verification is going to work. We've heard that that it's going to be a combination of probably some sort of uh, doctor's uh, letter or potentially a letter from a, a more of a community-based healthcare organization you know, depending on the person's disability. You know, for us, we are far less focused on the potential fraud. Um, you know, fraud has existed before, you know, people fake to have to get it parking in accessible parking spaces or with service dogs or even to get to the front of the line at Disneyland. But the difference between those frauds um, and this is that everybody needs to get the vaccine. And even if there's a small number of people who take advantage of it, which we are not in any way encouraging, but even if there is, they, that just means we're one step closer to a herd immunity that benefits all of us. So I see this as really different. And, and for us, it's, we want to get these high-risk people with disabilities, the vaccine, and we don't want to make the barriers so high that they can't even get them. Yeah, there are, though, I think two almost separate issues, right? I mean, there's the issue of people who might be trying to uh, game the system and, you know, get their vaccine out of turn by faking whatever a medical condition or whatever else they think they need to, to fake. But then down the road, there's another issue, isn't there, which is that uh, it does look like some countries and airlines may start as a prerequisite in the next few months, require proof of vaccination for things like travel. And that's a whole other issue because, uh, you know, I'm sure you've seen the cards that people get when you get vaccinated. It's just a plain piece of cardboard that says, you know, you were vaccinated on this and this date. There's nothing particularly you know, complicated or sophisticated about it. And uh, I wonder what measures are being taken to make sure, because that is a, a really important thing that because you don't want to have unvaccinated people, obviously, going to places that, uh, you know, they can be exposed to a potentially deadly disease, thinking that the person going there has been vaccinated. Yeah, I've, I've been thinking about that since the start. I, I was one of the early people who got vaccinated uh, because I am a, a healthcare worker for my son who has autism and um, and saw that it was just a card. But there's there's additional measures and you, you actually get an email with uh, a more official looking sheet um, that has uh, letterhead on it um, that I am sure that this is something the public health officials are thinking about. For us though, 
you know, for the for us, for me as a disability rights advocate, I am actually much more concerned at this point that le people with legitimate disabilities coming with some kind of documentation are going to be turned away. We heard that happening with family members who had the right to receive the vaccine in the past month. Um, getting turned away, even though they had legitimate documentation in LA County, and it was also happening in, in Ventura County and in other places as well. Why did they so get turned? Why did they get? But why did they get turned away? Yeah, but why did they get turned away? Because of uneducated people at the health, at the sites, at the vaccination sites. They just they didn't believe the note. They thought it wasn't legit, they, they or they didn't know that that's that it was open to these people. Yeah, they had not been trained on exactly what to look for. It's particularly happening with people with developmental disabilities. So people with developmental disabilities like autism, cerebral palsy, epilepsy, they receive services through something called regional centers. There's 21 of them around the state of California. And those regional centers will be providing letters to the people with disabilities. They have in the past month, they provided letters to the parents of the people with disabilities. And they were coming in with legitimate letters, but getting turned away because the um, people at the vaccination sites had not been trained by the County Department of Public Health. That has been taken care of. Uh, the state got involved and and we have overcome that barrier. And now we need to make sure that those same barriers are not in put, in, put in place as people with disabilities uh, line up to get the vaccine starting March 15th. Judy Mark, president of Disability Voices United. Judy, thanks. The economy is showing some signs of improvement, even though the stock market might be going through a correction phase. There was a big drop in weekly unemployment claims. Gas prices are up in part because of an expected increase in demand as people drive and travel, people who have vaccines. KYW's Matt Leon talks to Villanova School of Business professor David Fiorenza about what's happening now and what we can expect in the near future. The $600 stimulus uh, package that was given to, uh, to the American public, it really did drive a surge in spending. It really did drive a surge even in savings and uh, drawing down some of their debt. So a lot of things are pointing up. Uh, we have to be careful. Lumber prices are very high. We have to be careful that oil prices are going up. That could be some of the things that could stop a full-blown uh, skyrocketing of the GDP for first and second quarter of this year. We talk about this stimulus plan, and uh, as we're talking here on Friday, I think it sounds like we'll get a vote in the House on Friday night, but word coming that the $15 minimum wage that Democrats were pushing for, parliamentarian says it can't be included. I am no expert in parliamentarian stuff. And just for our conversation, the fact that it's going to be put on the shelf, do you think we will see action at some point on that on its own? I, something has to be done there, doesn't it, on the minimum wage? I agree. It does have to be done. Although I think some action is already being taken. I think the Democrats uh, are getting a win here, even though they're not going to get the $15 an hour minimum wage, because the more they talk about it, the more companies are coming forward saying, you're right, we're going to start our employees at $15, $16 an hour. So I think subconsciously their plan is actually working. Uh, they're, they're seeing that that the American public does want a good wage. Uh, they In certain areas of the country, you can't afford to live under under $7 or $8 an hour, even $9 an hour. So it's pushing some of these companies to come forward and saying, yeah, you're right, we should be paying a higher wage without actually being mandated. Consumer sentiment, uh, February up a bit. 
Um, obviously, going up is good news. We're still way below where we were before COVID hit. No surprise there. But to our earlier conversation, there are a lot of indicators. We could see this number start to take off, too, as well, couldn't we? We could. And some of the reasons why you saw a dip in that consumer sentiment was because uh, people had saw the news of the Federal Reserve telling us to be careful and cautious of prices, meaning inflation that could happen this year. Uh, usually you do get a little bit of inflation uh, throughout the year when your economy is growing. And I've always said the inflation I like the best are the things that I own, such as homes, uh, maybe other kinds of assets. I don't like the uh, inflation that I see in energy prices and food. So the consumer sentiment, okay, it went down a couple percentage points. I'm not concerned until I see a trend of three or four months of it declining, which I don't think we're going to see. You mentioned the Fed. I know you've you've liked what the Fed has done, especially in the early days of the COVID crisis. Uh, you still think they're taking the right approach? How they're they're looking at the economy? I think they are. They, they had some testimony on February 23rd by our, our Fed chair, uh, Jerome Powell. A lot of his news has been overshadowed because of the coronavirus and because of vaccines coming out and also new vaccines coming out. So with that being said, his his message is not always getting out there 100 uh, percent. His message, is, I think, is very straightforward. Let's let's be cautious. Let's be careful. Uh, let's let's grow this economy at a steady rate. Let's take a look at inflation. And we still have some tools in the shed, so to speak, that if, in fact, there is inflation, we can we can keep uh, things cooled down and not heat up too much so that the American public is not um, getting hammered by inflation. I know you're always keeping a close eye on the housing market. Do you think it's a, a good indicator? What are you seeing there these days? Well, the housing market, I've always said housing starts affects every industry from plumbing, heating, electrical, to carpets, to painting, to landscapers. Uh, I'm so excited about the housing market, the new home sales. Uh, my only concern is that the average sales price, and we've talked about this on and off air, is over 400000 right now. And that's really hard to swallow throughout the United States for a family of three or a family of four who are only making seventy five, eighty thousand, 80000 for them to find what we call affordable housing. Maybe townhomes in a 200,000 range. Uh, even things at 2 225 single family homes are hard to find. Uh, but the other thing that's good, could we have to keep a watch on, as I said before, is lumber prices. We have to be sure that there's enough lumber out there because I'm seeing what could happen in Texas. A lot of people are shifting to go work down there. As the spring occurs, we're not going to see a lot of contractors up in this area because they're going to go where the dollars are and where they're being called uh, to the poor people of Texas who really do need that that help. Uh, I hope we don't have a, a bad hurricane season this year because that'll affect lumber. That'll affect other kinds of things, not just lumber itself. So I'm excited to see that people are working on their homes. They're putting additions on and uh, they are moving back and forth various places. But again, my concern is that the, the average sale price is over uh, $400,000 for a home in the United States. We talked a lot about uh, city, state, municipalities, how they've gotten, in a lot of cases, hammered by the coronavirus. Uh, this has been a sticking point. We're expecting money for some relief for these places in the new uh, stimulus bill. But I've also seen some interesting things that a lot of local municipalities and such are cautiously optimistic that 
their their budgets didn't get hit quite as hard as they thought they were, they would. Have you heard anything about this? That maybe some some places got a a, a little bit of a break in, in what they thought was going to be big shortfalls. You're correct in in, in that assumption. Um, most municipalities in the tri-state area are on a calendar year. So right now, uh, at the end of February, they're going through their independent audits and they're finding out that they do have some excess cash at the end of the year. There's a couple of reasons is because they would normally get funding from state and federal aid. Another reason is if if they rely on the earned income tax, those kinds of uh, revenues are down. But a lot of places in the tri-state area rely on the real estate tax. And the real estate tax needs to be paid uh, either in the, the discount face or penalty period. Uh, I, they've also seen some good upticks. Let's go back to housing, building permits, zoning permits. The planning commission uh, are, are doing well with fees. Uh, you're seeing some of the universities, even the ones that aren't that aren't doing so well, looking at their endowments and say, well, maybe we can upgrade some of our buildings and build new. So that is in the process, in the works. A lot of municipalities uh, throughout the, the tri-state really did hunker down, bunker down, and put and, and put the screws to expenses, knowing that something was going to happen with COVID, and it really did. It, 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 they were able to, to really uh, become efficient during this time. Now they're finding out that, well, well, if we're efficient, do we really need all the help we really did need? Can we outsource some of our services that we didn't outsource before, Matt? And that, that has been a big sticking point when it comes to these big relief bills. Republicans don't want to give this help. Democrats do. Is this something where we could see, you think, maybe the, the price tag for these state municipalities go down a little bit simply because the need is not as extraordinary as we thought five, six, eight months ago? Well, I, the sentiment at the local level and the county levels is they some of them have already resolved themselves to the fact that they're not going to get state or federal funding. So they're reworking their budgets. They're reworking their expenditures. It's the cities, Philadelphia. Pittsburgh, Camden, places of that nature, Wilmington, that that really do have a need for some kind of assistance at the federal level. States are going to are still going to hurt. It's going to be very hard for the state of Pennsylvania to make up that shortfall of, of three to five billion dollars. Um, New Jersey's in a little bit better place because they become, become a little bit more progressive than Pennsylvania with marijuana laws, um, other kinds of things like they they were the first ones to jump on online gambling and those kinds of things that brought in revenues. And we have talked a lot about the effect of uh, sporting venues, not having fans and all of the kind of ripple effects of the economy that has, it sounds like we're on the road to at least getting some people back in the stands for say Phillies games and stuff like that. Even if it's a, a radically small number than we're used to, that's a, that's a nice big step, isn't it? I think that is a very big step, and it's a big step economically. Even if they put in 6,000 fans at a, at a Phillies game, uh, that obviously means not as many food vendors, not as many people parking your cars, but it's 6,000 people who are going to be paying the parking tax, going to be paying the, the other kinds of taxes at the concession stands, buying the merchandise. It's a good first step. Coming up after this short break, remember watching live music in person? Lots of people are itching for concerts and big music festivals to return. There is hope that that could happen here in the United States soon. Live Nation's CEO optimistic they'll be back in the summer. So when they do come back, will you go? Jam Oswad, music editor for Variety. 
Jim, so Live Nation's CEO hopeful because uh, the UK, they're going to allow large uh, concerts toward the end of June, right? Yeah, um, large outdoor mass gatherings. Uh, there's been a government decree or whatever saying that those are permitted. Uh, Live Nation took that as an inspiration, for lack of a better word, immediately put um, three festivals on sale, tickets for those festivals, and they sold 170,000 tickets in like four days. Live Nation's earnings report for last year, which was, of course, disastrous, um, was uh, yesterday. And they used that as a way to say, like, look at how big things are booming in the in the UK. We don't have a similar rule in the United States. But if all goes well and people get vaccinated on the schedule that is projected, then we we could be looking at um, concerts returning outdoor concerts in smaller venues. By midsummer were his words. Now, I would take that to mean August, um, and it would just be the beginning. Um, so we'll see how it goes. I mean, from his mouth to God's ears. <laughs> I guess it's their problem, too, is dealing with the states, because it's going to be different in each state. And maybe one state isn't ready, another is ready to go. But if you said, if it's just smaller venues, then that's a different matter than filling a stadium, because we're not filling stadiums until... You know, we work out whether everybody's going to have to be vaccinated or tested to go. And that's, you know, 100,000 people. That's a whole different story. Yeah, well, it's also, I mean, the an, an important distinction to make is whether or not the venue is indoors or outdoors. Because outdoor ones are much easier to work with. You know, they're, they're, they're going to contain COVID less than an arena would. Now, arena tours will probably be the last ones to come back, but you got a decent barometer on that with the fact that uh, the weekends tour, which has now been rescheduled for a second time, um, they announced dates for like 100 dates starting in January of next year, of course. So that's a benchmark for when your traditional pop arena tour is going to come back. Now, for artists who attract an, attract an older audience, it's going to be even longer. Um, because, you know, the weekend is going to attract a young audience and young people are less susceptible to COVID than older ones are. Um, you know, so, I mean, if it were going to be, I don't know, a Crosby, Stills and Nash tour or something like that, it would be a different story. So let me let, let me uh, pose a, a cynical scenario here, uh, because, as Please. you know, OK, because, as you know, uh, like with restaurants, for example, in New York and L.A., you know, first they're open for outdoor, then they're not because things change in terms of the virus. So in order to to sell tickets to, you know, large festivals or concerts, I presume they're going to have to sell tickets way in advance. Right. So suppose they sell those tickets and then uh, that festival all of a sudden can't happen because the conditions change with the virus. Then will people have an easy or hard time getting their money back? <laughs> well, it, I mean, as we saw when COVID first hit and concerts first got postponed, it was a mess. And it took a long time for a lot of people to get their money back. You know, uh, I haven't heard from my friends who said they still hadn't gotten their money back for a while now. Um, so I assume they eventually did. But it was a big thing. Now, it was also completely unexpected. So this time, I would expect they would be a lot more ready for it. And as Live Nation never fails to trumpet, they said that 83% of people have opted to hold on to their tickets. Now, I'm not sure exactly, you know, I didn't really drill down on the specifics of that number, but that's a lot of people who didn't give up their tickets to see anyone from the weekend to Def Leppard, you know? 
Jim Oswald, music editor for Variety. When we started doing that story a few times, it was, well, it's not canceled. It's just postponed. Yes. So you can't have it back yet. <laughs> oh, when's it postponed to? Well, who knows? Yeah. Uh, indefinitely. So we'll see how it goes. If you're a woman who's getting the COVID shot soon, hold off on the mammogram. Otherwise, you could get a cancer scare. The vaccine's temporary side effects can include swollen lymph nodes around the armpits, which could be misread as a possible sign of breast cancer if it turns up on a mammogram. In trials of the Moderna vaccine, the condition developed in more than 11 percent of participants after the first dose and in 16 percent after the second one. The Society for Breast Imaging says routine mammograms should be done either before the first dose of a COVID-19 vaccine or four to six weeks after the second dose. Find us on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.